what is up everyone we are back with another episode of shaping the culture hope all is well with you guys hey i hope you're having a good day hope you're having a good uh car ride or whether you're listening in your room or while you're working out or whatever it is i hope you're having a great day um man thank you for rocking with us thank you for hitting play and checking out this episode uh listen i am so excited about the episode that we are about to have um a little nervous if i were to be honest I feel like we got a legend on the podcast uh she's just crushing it doing great phenomenal work and i am delighted i am um super humble that she would be willing uh to do this i actually reached out to her not knowing uh what the response would be and she's like i'd love to and so um so thankful uh for for her uh time and and for her willingness to come and share her story a little bit um i was introduced to her or made known um uh, about her a couple of years ago from a friend of mine and ever since then i've been kind of watching from afar and Man, her, her story is truly um, remarkable, inspiring to say the least. And so I'm excited to, in this episode to kind of get the behind the scenes and uh, just hear her her life journey and uh, some of the things that she's experienced and how she got to the point that she's gotten to. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be listening today. I just want to hear uh, what she's got to say. Uh, some of you may know her, I said, like I said, or maybe not. Uh, but she is, uh, uh, I think, more known for her uh, involvement with uh, helping out Michelle Obama and doing her hair. And so she, uh, she I mean, if you guys have watched the Becoming uh, documentary on Netflix, you see her in a few scenes. But uh, yeah, that's 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 what she uh, does or that's what she's done. And so, yeah, just excited about how she to hear about how she got there and, and so on and so forth. And so, yeah, without further ado, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we have with us Yene. Hey, Yene, how are you doing today? I'm well, Ebenezer. How are you? I am doing, uh, I'm doing great. I can't complain. I'm in Minnesota, so sometimes the weather can suck a little bit, but we're doing great today, so I feel good. <laughs> no, I totally get it. The weather here in D.C. is um, up and down, so yesterday was a nicer day. Today it's gloomy, so I totally get it. <laughs> for sure, for sure. I think you guys get better weather than us, but that's awesome that you're, <laughs> you get it, though. Probably so probably so but i definitely being a cali girl at heart you know i i'm always looking for sunshine every day i hear that i hear that yeah my um a couple of my brothers moved out to la and so they get sunshine all the time and so i get i get pretty jealous <laughs> yeah for sure. Well, yeah, I um, I just want to say thank you for uh, getting on Shaping the Culture with me and just talking about your story and your journey. Uh, I know our listeners will benefit a great deal, and uh, I, I'm pretty. I know I'm going to walk out inspired. And I know pretty. I'm pretty sure a lot of people will feel inspired after this. And so, thank you for your time and uh, just this opportunity we get. Absolutely. Thank you for thinking of me. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So um, I just kind of wanted to start off by asking, um, you know, for those who may not know what you do or what you're about, um, just letting us in into um, what you do and even how you got to what you're doing today. Um, okay, so that's a fun <laughs> question. Uh, I'm a hairstylist in in Arlington, Virginia, originally, like I said, from Southern California. Yeah. Um, relocated to the D.C. metropolitan area 
11 years ago in 2009 mm-hmm. um, after becoming one of two hairstylists then to the Obamas. Um, mm-hmm. Since then, I have became the primary and only stylist to Mrs. Obama. Um, but aside from that, I also have like education. I'm very, very big on education, but specifically for beauty professionals. So using my degree at the intersection of business um, and as an entrepreneur in the specific beauty world, how we meet and create sustainable businesses. Mm. So that's who I am in a nutshell. Um, Been a hairstylist um, for some time now. Went to hair school when I was 16. Um, So I went when I was in high school at night and then Mm. uh, dropped out, had had a very interesting journey where I dropped out of um, cosmetology school because I was like, I'm going to go to college and then went to college and Got my associate's uh, got my associate's degree and then dropped out and then went back to cosmetology school, finished <laughs> and like went back to college for a week, then dropped out, relocated, <laughs> moved to DC, then um, went back to college after living here for year for four years and then graduated with my bachelor's degree. So oh, kind wow. of trying to use all of the things at once. Mm. So with educational platform, I kind of use my degree and then. Um, in my business, obviously, I use my degree, and then with my trade, um, I, my trade license, I that's what I do, which is my love, which is hair. Yeah. Man, it sounds like you were on a journey there uh, with education. Yes. <laughs> a journey, to say the least. Um, but it was a good journey, right? And yeah. it was a journey that I wouldn't... I appreciate now. I, I tell mm. so many people that they need to understand you have to trust your process and know your journey yeah. um, and know that your journey may not look like someone else's. Mm. And so for me, I share my story because it isn't a traditional story, right? Like yeah. nothing about my life is traditional. Nothing about my life is ordinary, um, but it is ordinary to me. I, I recognize that it is extraordinary to others. Yeah, no, that's that's beautiful. That That's so true. I think we oftentimes... Um, look to um, other people's stories to kind of figure out if we're doing the right thing or if we're on the right track. But like you said, no story is the same. And so um, it's encouraging to see, uh, you know, kind of your journey and how you got to where you're at and not necessarily um, fit the mold for how other people do what they do. And so, yeah, no, that's real. Um, yeah. What what I wanted to ask is, you know, what inspired you? Like, how did you get into uh, 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 hairstyling, and how, how did you get into that um, world? Um, what is it? Is it something uh, that you saw growing up? Is it an experience that you had? Like, what what led you to wanting to be a hairstylist? I think it's a combination of both. Um, I just feel like hmm. naturally I gravitated towards hair. Um, I started playing with my own hair at a very young age. I was at working hair school when I was 16. So by 16, I knew that that was something I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So there, I can't say that anybody around me was a hairstylist. Um, like my childhood friend, her mom had a hair salon and we would go there, but I really didn't like, it wasn't like I was like growing up in the salon and like playing with my dolls. I can't really remember those stories or say that mm-hmm. that's what it was. But what mm-hmm. I will say, a distinct memory that I had was I was always intrigued. My mother used to put hot rollers in her hair on Sundays mm. and then get in the shower, put a shower cap on and come out and her hair would have these bouncy curls. And I was always like, I wanted to do that. And so I would just like play with them. And I didn't really understand how hot rollers worked or mm. what they were at that time. Yeah. But I was just like, this is cool. Um, and my mom worked in the morning, so she left by 6 a.m. 
she was at work. So it was mm-hmm. my dad, and my brother, and myself in the morning. So I was kind of left to get myself together for school. Yeah. So I kind of started just playing with my own hair and like mm-hmm. learning how to figure out styles that I liked. Um, and then I started playing. Like I recognized that when I went into the pool, my hair would get lighter in the summer times. And mm-hmm. I now know that it's like the chemicals and how, you know, they all work. Yeah. But it just was something that always intrigued me. Yeah. And so I was just, I started braiding hair and then I was just like, you know what, I'm going to go to cosmetology school. And mm. So I went to cosmetology school. I convinced my parents, let me go. Um, it wasn't the easiest um, process, but eventually mm. they let me go and I was just kind of like, all right, this is what, this is what it's going to be. Yeah, no, I wanted to kind of speak on that a little bit because um, if, if I'm not mistaken, you're Ethiopian, right? Um, I am. And so, and the route you took isn't tr- the traditional route, right? I know a lot of the times we hear, um, you know, our parents lending, telling us we got to be either doctors or lawyers or um, engineers. engineers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and you took a totally different route. What was, what was that experience like? Ooh. Um, let me say this. I share the experience that I had with figuring out what I wanted to do um, because it's not to like bash Avisha parents and it's mm-hmm. not to like bash my parents because I love my parents and I think that they're amazing but it's I share it because there's I, I, I don't blame my parents for the way that they pushed me yeah. because I understand that they didn't know any better mm-hmm. right but I also knew I knew that going into it, so I knew I had to mm. show them what I could do, right? It wasn't just like, well, I'm going to be a hairstylist, I'm going to be a hairstylist, I'm going to be a hairstylist. I was like, all right, I'm going like, to play this game with you. I'm going to dance around mm. the idea that I'm really going to do this full, full time. And it was like, you go to, we'll pay for you to go, go, to, go to cosmetology school, but you have to go to college. And I was like, yeah, 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 sure. <laughs> and I did that because I knew that my parents weren't aware of like where the industry could take me. And mm. with all honesty, like, my goal wasn't to become the hairstylist to the former first lady, like, or work with the, the first family in any capacity. That wasn't what I aspired yeah. to be or work with celebrities. Like, I was like, that wasn't the goal, right? My goal was like, I wanted to connect with people. I wanted to be a hairstylist. Yeah. So I had to make my parents understand that this isn't what they're used to, right? If mm. you think back to where our parents come from and being a child of immigrants, like, the one thing that I knew is that my parents worked hard and they persevered and they yeah. hustled. And so I had to have a little bit of that mentality to do what I wanted to do. So I was just like, that's fine. I'm not going to, I went, I was in high school during the day. I went to cosmetology from 5.30 to 10.30 at night, mm-hmm. Monday through Thursday. I worked on the weekends. You know, I showed them that I had that mm-hmm. drive mm-hmm. so they could kind of like back off. But my dad still didn't talk to me after I took the job. I moved to DC. He didn't talk to me for about a month and a half, two months. He wow. was just like, "No, you're dropping out of college. I don't care who you're working for. Like, wow. what? Like, what are you thinking?" But again, I just knew that it's something he was going to get over, right? Yeah. And I was just kind of like, at this point, I'm grown. Like, I'm supporting myself. <laughs> yeah. I'm not asking you to support me while I make this decision. So watch but that was also my drive that's what inspired Mm. me to keep going because it was just kind of like I have to change the way that you guys think of things and Mm. I think not just immigrant parents but I think um, parents in general do not appreciate the arts right Mm. they don't consider the arts as a talent where that it's a lucrative way for you to to sustain and you think about it like of course there's there's this starving artist mentality yeah yeah. um, 
And we just have to kind of get rid of that. And as long as we show them that we could do more, yeah. then we're fine. Yeah, for sure. The, like um, you said a lot of great things there. Do you, do you like just speaking on the starving artist mentality um, when you decided to kind of take this route? Uh, was that a thought you um, entertained at all? Or did you worry about Absolutely. maybe? Yeah. Like how did you overcome some of those fears or even some of those thoughts that would kind of creep up and, and, and kind of scare you? I mean, I just feel like it's not going to, it wasn't going to kill me. And let's be very clear. Like yeah. people look at my life and think it's glorious and people look at my life mm. and think that it was all smooth sailing. Yeah, I struggled yeah. even after I relocated to DC. Like I moved mm. in with my uncle. He had three kids. I went having my own room to sharing a room. Wow. It was a completely different household style, right? Mm. Like the way that they that I was placed in was different. So that was an adjustment. Living mm. on an opposite side of the country, dealing with seasons. Mm. There were so many. I cried <laughs> every wow. day for like months. I didn't really have friends. Mm. So it was just like, and, and because I didn't have, you have to understand, I was 21. So mm. it's like, where do you meet people? You either meet people at work or you meet people at school. That's generally where your friendships are formed yeah. and so I didn't have that so I'm meeting people but they're not my age mm. so like they're not going out they're not turning up they're not yeah. wanting just to hang out and then I had a very unique situation that I was just kind of like are you generally my friend or are you my friend because of who I work mm. with like are you trying to use me or what do you like wow. I was paranoid so it, it, it put up this wall mm. I put up this wall and I had to understand that like okay just take a deep breath it's fine and you'll figure it out. And then the other part of it was that I was trying to recreate the community that I had in California. Mm. And I was just like, I had this unit of this Habershaw community, these like my cousins, my friends that like I was so close with. I tried to recreate that in DC and I just couldn't. Mm. And when I let go, when I really just let go, things naturally began to like happen the way that I wanted to. Wow. I, I met one friend and she kind of introduced me to somebody else. And then like my friendship's, evolved and it was just kind of like all right i know you're good right like you mm -hmm. have good intentions and you're a good person so whoever you introduce me to is going to be good and have good intentions yeah right so then i just started being like one step at a time right so yeah. it's that, that you have to crawl before you walk situation yeah it was like there's no way that i could create what i had for 21 years of my life mm -hmm. in three months yeah. And there was also this expectation that I had of the people that I knew. Do you see there's lots of Habishas? Yeah. Um, I, I felt like, okay, that there's going to be the same type of communal experience and it's different. Mm. And I had to accept that. I was just like, okay, well, things are just going to be different. And the people that you thought were going to be your bestest of friends mm. aren't because their day-to-day -day life, you're not included in it, mm -hmm. right? And you haven't been. So when you come to visit somewhere, they're used to making time for you. But on their everyday life, they're not thinking like, oh my God, right. I need you. And then everyone is going through their own motions. And like, you have to understand that yeah. I was 21. Yeah. So the people in the same age, they're trying to grow. They're trying to learn. They're trying to find their place in the world. Yeah. So I had to stop having expectations. And then the friends that I had made, where they were older than me, but they were like, four or five years older than me, but at mm. least they were out of college. They were working, but they were young professionals. Mm. So we could vibe. And so I just kind of, it just kind of went from there and I built friendships and I, and you know, it, I cried when I needed to cry. I wrote letters mm. when I needed to write letters. Yeah. Um, I prayed when I needed to pray. I meditated if I needed to meditate. I was yeah. alone if I needed to be alone. Yeah. Like you just go through it. Yeah. Yeah. 
that that man so i wanted to man just in light of everything you said i i wanted to kind of touch on your resilience a little bit because you know you laid out for us how difficult it was whether it's proving it to your parents or trying to develop a healthy community in dc um you know it just sounds like things were um um they, they weren't easy um there were things that you went through and so what what led you to keep keep the course like why didn't you give up like what kept you on the right track even though you had a million and one things that were discouraging you or maybe leading you to possibly give up um because it is easy to give up when um you know your family's not on board you have no friends you don't have a support system um you've left the world or you've left the the place that you were comfortable with um you're dealing with winter now and fall and what have you uh what what really helps you keep um keep the course and and not give up when when it got difficult i feel like my purpose in life is to be of service to others and mm. i feel like Wow. Hair is a vehicle and the vessel in which I'm able to do that. Yeah. And so I love what I do. I love every single thing that I do. And mm-hmm. when you operate with love, and I think that when you speak with conviction, mm-hmm. then anything is possible, wow. right? That is what pushes you. And so for me, hair is what I love. All things hair, all things beauty, right? And so... I feel like that is what kept me going and failure Mm. was not an option. Wow. That just wasn't an option. When I think back to like what my parents came from and the Mm. life that I had, I grew up and I had a pretty nice life, right? Like we went on vacations. I was privileged growing up. Mm. And so knowing where my parents came from, knowing the jobs that my parents had, my mother doesn't have a college degree. My father does, doesn't use it. Yeah. What he does has nothing to do with the degree he has yeah. because there was no one telling him to what to get a degree in. So for me, it was just kind of like, oh, no, failure is not an option. Yeah. What you're not going to do is you're not going to give up and go back. So like, not only did, I worked at a nonprofit when I, when I first moved to D.C. Mm. Um, I worked at like multiple salons. Like I wasn't too good. I was an assistant for a friend of mine who had like a lifestyle coaching in her and um she her her wife has a um financial planning company like i was their admin person Mm. i was like as many jobs as i could do i'm gonna do because i need to i need to do what i need to take care of what i take care of i need to be able to pay my rent Mm -hmm. and so it's one of those things right where it's like when you don't have a choice you'll Mm. when you are given restrictions you will make it work right Mm. so like even if you think about like the global pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, when you think about a global pandemic, people are living with a budget. People mm-hmm. are finding ways to find joy and entertainment without doing things that they're so used to. Yeah. People are saving more money because they're not going out and being social. Yeah. But yet, prior to this, you probably were like, I can't save money. I can't save money. <laughs> I don't know. Can't live on Wall Street, right? Yeah. So like, you have to understand that you could do whatever you put your mind to. And so for so me, good. it was just like, oh, I'm not going to fail, yeah. right? I'm not going to fail because I am a fully healthy and capable human being. So yeah. it's like if I had to, I would go get a job as a waitress or at a, mm. wherever I had to do yeah. to sustain because my livelihood is depending on it. Yeah. And that was the mentality that was birthed in me from my culture 
right? Come and from on, what yeah. I saw in my parents, yeah. that was instilled in me that set me apart. Mm-hmm. Man, that's so inspiring. Yeah, you don't you don't see that too often where people just don't ha- they don't have that um, fervor or that uh, resilience. But I think that you you hit. I on- don't. I, I'm gonna cut you off really quickly. Yeah. I don't know if it's that we don't see it that often. Yeah. Um, we don't we don't see it that often in the sense that it's not glamorized, mm. right? Like mm. I just happen to be someone who is in the public eye in some capacity because of who I work with, right? So there's eyes on me. So Mm. I'm able to tell my story in its entirety. But there are so many people that are like me. There are so many people that work multiple jobs, single mothers, Mm. you know, single fathers that do it. It's just their stories aren't glamorized. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. You're totally right. That's so good. Um let me let me ask you this like um what what would be maybe your advice to somebody that is giving it their all and you know grinding and not seeing um any fruit or any outcome or desired outcome i should say um what what would be your encouragement to them that 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 is just giving it their all grinding doing the dirty work nobody's really watching and they're just hoping for a better tomorrow um what would you say to that person who two things um yeah. first and foremost i i just hosted a beauty summit on may 8th and one of the things that one of the mo- one of the panelists said was that those who are successful are always pushing the finish line back hmm Right. So understanding that you dictate that finish line for yourself. Mm. Right. So you determine what the finish line is. And so when you are striving for more, if you want, if you aspire to grow, you're always pushing that finish line back. So stop pushing it back, reach the finish line and then set a new finish line. Mm. There's that. And then on the other side, it's that ask yourself whose validation are you looking for and what is the purpose of what you do? Mm. Because if you're doing something for recognition and validation, then your purpose is off. Wow. Wow. Man. Yeah. That's powerful. I, I think that, that that hits home, especially in the Instagram age that we live in and the TikTok age. And... What? <laughs> Instagram. <laughs> Where, yeah, I mean, that's a win to be seen or to, to have validation and man that's that's real yeah but i always i'm just kind of like i tell people all the time my instagram followers nothing to do with my bank account (laughs) that's real (laughs) that's so real that's so real you know i don't really care about my followers do i understand the importance of social media because i have a business and Mm -hmm. it is a marketing tool but you need to know what it is yeah yeah. Like what? Why am I, I use social media for the purpose of spreading my message? I don't use social media to brag about my life or to be like, "Look wow. at me, look at me, look at me." Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. it may come off to you as that, but if you really look through my page, I use it to like have conversations to yeah. be social. That's yeah. why it's called social media. <laughs> um, yeah. And just remembering that. Yeah. No, that's so good. That's a that's a key distinction there. Using social media as a tool and not necessarily as an identity builder. No, that's... Well, I hate social media. I hated (laughs) social media, but I invested in social media because I knew that if I wanted to change people's lives and if I wanted to connect, Mm. 
who I was and my accolades weren't enough in the generation and the world that we live in. People continue to ask me, what is your social media following like? Mm, yeah. So I had, to, I had to start being active in social media, but it's very rare that I post my personal life on social media. Yeah. Like I'm not posting whatever and anything on social media. Yeah. No, that's so wise. It's very wise. Yeah. No, that, that's a great reminder. Um, to, to, to view social media with a sober mind and uh, really focus on what matters and what's important and not to let social media distract us from that because I, I know it could be such a huge distraction. Um, man, you're, you're just dropping gems. Like, I'm learning so much. <laughs> I appreciate you. <laughs> this is so good. Um, you, uh, you definitely talked about how you work uh, with the Obamas. Um, and so I wanted to just ask how that came to be, like how you got that opportunity. Um, yeah. How did you find yourself um, doing Michelle Obama's hair? Uh, my mentor, I was introduced. Uh, my second mentor, I was a third mentor, actually. The more and more I think about it, I'm like, he was my third mentor. Um, the most, the most, one of the most instrumental mentors uh, that I had he was originally from Chicago and I started, I was connected to him through my brother hmm. and um, it was honestly, it was just, I think supposed to happen. It was a part of my journey mm -hmm. and we connected. I turned the job down at first and he's like, would you relocate to DC? I was like, nope, good luck. Packed him <laughs> wow. up, sent him on his way, came to DC to help him unpack, came for inauguration, the whole thing. I was like, yeah, 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 cool. Back to California, like wow. 21. Wasn't going to leave. I was just not looking to not move across the country. Mm. And then for something in my spirit was just kind of like, why not? Mm. And so I was just like, if you still want me, he was like, oh, you could be with in two weeks. And so I moved mm. two weeks later. Wow. And April 7th, 2009, I moved to D.C. And... It was just something that just happened so fast. I wish that I could say that, you know, I worked hard and mm. that's why this happened. But I feel like it was, I was, I was connected to the right person at the right time. Mm. Um, I recently did an interview with him and he was just kind of like, he said to me, the woman you are today hmm. was who I saw in the girl I wow. met then. Wow. And he goes, you just needed, you know, some watering mm. to blossom. Mm. Mm. And I say that, I say that to many people, I say that I just needed someone to believe in me and to encourage wow. me. Yeah. Because he saw something in me that I didn't see within myself. Mm. But like, I recognize that he saw something in me and I was just like, why? Like there is that mentality where you always are like, why me? Why me? Why? Me? Yeah. Yeah. But there's so many reasons why it's you. Mm. And so I can't say that there was anything that was like special or that I had, like it just happened. I met him. I think that I kind of was hazed in the beginning. Like he sent me on a job with someone else who I said was like my second mentor, uh, Larry Sims. Mm. So Johnny Wright was, the one who brought me to the White House, Larry Sims, was who um, Johnny tested me with. And before Larry Sims, it was um, a woman by the name of Kaywon. And she was the first person to take me into the salon. She used to braid my hair. So it's actually crazy. She used to braid my hair. Mm. And then I ended the first salon I worked in was with her. I assisted her. And she was like, don't limit yourself to just 
working at a salon, like Hmm. think bigger. And so that's when I was like, all right, what else can I do? Like, let me look at what else there is in this industry. Um, And then that's when I was connected with Johnny and Johnny was just kind of like, okay, are you any good? And I was like, what do you mean? He asked (laughs) me that. Like he opened the door, went, met, went to his house to meet and he opened the door, like literally just opened the door, but like didn't open it. Mm -hmm. So like I pushed the door and I'm like, hi. And he's like, he sat on the couch. He's like, are you good? And no one had asked me that. And Hmm. I was just like, who asks somebody that? I was 20 years old when we met. And then my mom's best friend had passed away in September. And um, Hmm. he called me and was like, hey, can you work tomorrow? And I was like, uh, he was like, you know, someone I know needs somebody. And I didn't know that that person was Larry Sims, who was going to essentially be kind of like semi-hazing me, but like testing me out. Hmm. And... Larry was like, she's great. So then Johnny was just like, he called me again and he was like, can we meet? And I was, I was in cosmetology school the second time. So I was like, I had in cosmetology school. I finished at the end of the year. Mm. And then he, every time he called me, there was something going on. Mm. And then the final time he called me was my birthday, my 21st birthday. And my mm. parents were throwing me a party. Hmm. And he was like, are you available in the McDonald's commercial? And I was like, I'm available until this time. It's my birthday. My 21st <laughs> birthday. My parents are throwing me a party. Yeah. I, I, it's in the afternoon, so you could have me up until the commercial was being shot downtown. So I was like, I'm available until two because everything starts at three. Mm. And he was like, all right, cool. And in retrospect, I think my willingness mm. to find balance between my personal life, where I could have wow. easily been like, nope, I'm unavailable. I was yeah. just kind of like, I'm available only for this period of time. And I explained the reason behind it. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. I think that is what made him gravitate towards me, maybe there was something about that mm-hmm. that made him be like, all right, let me give this girl a chance. And yeah. then it kind of blossomed from there. Yeah. So that was in December of 2008. We met in August of 2008, worked with Larry in September of 2008, worked with Johnny for the first time in December 2008. Um, he offered me the job in January. Um, same thing. He called, right before inauguration, he called me and was like, Hey, I got a client. I need to go to Little Rock, Arkansas. Can you come? Can you assist me? Mm. And I was like, Well, I'm going to DC for inauguration. He was like, We'll fly you there. Mm. We'll buy you a whole new ticket. Wow. So I was like, All right, cool. And I think, again, <laughs> my openness and my willingness yeah. to kind of go with the flow yeah. worked. Yeah. And so it just worked to my benefit. It allowed me an opportunity. And then I think after that, I just continued to work. Like my work ethic is what spoke mm. for my sport. And I tell people all the time, like I'm not the best hairstylist in the world, but I'm a good person and my work ethic and my drive and I show up and my ability to be professional yeah. is what makes me different. Yeah, yeah. No, that's so real. There's a few things you said there that I really wanted to hone in on. Um, the first was, it just, it just sounds like you weren't... Um, you know, you weren't eager for that position. I mean, it didn't uh-huh. sound like you were enamored with the opportunity. Where do you think that comes from? Because I know, um, you know, if, if that was presented to me, I would have been so quick to jump on it. You know what I mean? And so um, what what made you kind of like cool, ca- calm and cool and collect? And um, I don't know, just wholesome. I'm a West Coast girl. <laughs> I'm a West Coast girl. Celebrities yeah. don't intrigue me. Yeah, yeah. Right? They're human beings just like me. Yeah. And they have a lot of money or they have a title, which is cool, right? Like, that's super dope. I'm not taking away from them. Yeah. But what does that going to do for me Mm. in my life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And I've always said, I don't want to build a brand that's associated to somebody else's name. Wow. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm my own brand. Come on. I don't push myself as Michelle Obama's hairstylist. Mm -hmm. That's not who I am. Yeah. That doesn't make who I am. Yeah. I am who I am. I am a hairstylist. People say it all the time. Like you're Michelle Obama's hairstylist. So I'm a hairstylist. <laughs> she's not the only client. She's the most notable client and visible client. And yeah. she's amazing and a big deal. Yes, I recognize why it is, but why am I celebrated or like, why am mm. I like, I like to be humanized and I should That's be so humanized good. because I'm human. Yeah. 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 Man, that, that is, that is phenomenal. Where, where do you think that comes from? Like, do you think my that, dad? Yeah. He's instilled that in you at a young age or was, is that, how did that come to be? I more recently have recognized the things that my dad said to me growing up mm -hmm. prepared me for the positions that I'm in. Mm -hmm. Right. Like wow. the same thing with my mom. Yeah. Like, they never made me feel like I was less than someone else, mm. right? Mm. So that prepared me. Like my dad's little sayings that he said to me growing up, like you have to leave room for disappointment, mm. you know, things like my mom just being like, she, like just the little things, like my mom never lied about her age. She mm. proudly says her age. She wow. never cut, like she just like, I'm not cutting my hair. I'm, this is how old I am. I'm mm. proud. I'm yeah. healthy, I'm alive. Like, just embracing themselves in their raw, realist terms and not being ashamed. Like, my mother was a waitress and she doesn't hide the fact that she was a waitress. Mm. Um, my, there's no shame. And by yeah. seeing that, growing up in Orange County, being yeah. a child of immigrants and, like, just knowing my parents' struggles, it just made me be like, well, if they're not ashamed, why should I be ashamed? Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's beautiful. I'm so glad that you had that experience and that upbringing. Um, and that plays a huge role in who you are today. Man, I could literally ask you so many questions. Um, <laughs> the more you talk, I'm like, yo, I need I need more answers. Um, but I'm not trying to keep you here forever. I just got a few more, a couple more questions. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, in, in working, um, you know, with Michelle, uh, Obama, what, what's, what was probably your biggest or what has been the biggest takeaway? What are some of the things that you've learned from her? Tell your story. Unapologetically tell your story. Mm. Um, and if there isn't room at the table, create your own mm -hmm. biggest mm -hmm. takeaways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like. So good. Show up as you're on like as you're unapologetically in your authentic self. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that that is what is important. Like that's what you have to remember. And I think that it's interesting watching becoming, yeah. I was able to kind of be like, what was like, what was the purpose of all of this? Right. And like mm -hmm. hear critics and people say, you know, positive things, negative things and different feelings about what it is. But I'm just kind of like, you broadcast your life for someone to judge you. Right. Mm -hmm. And just kind of seeing what brings her joy and yeah. just like being able to witness it like firsthand yeah. is was very, is very different. Mm -hmm. But more than anything, it's like there is we there are so many there are so many more things that we have in common with people we don't know yeah. than we have that separates us. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Yeah. 
and that is something that through her I've been able to to see as well as I've been able to hear I've been able to see that like I've been able to go to middle of America and <laughs> like see people like embrace her and love her and like mm-hmm. We went on an international book tour where she sold out arenas, right? A mm. black girl from the South Side of Chicago. <laughs> like, who would have thought? Yeah. Like, it's, it's crazy when you think about it, right? Yeah. And then to kind of see it, to, be, to see people. And it was funny for us, like, at times, you see people in the photo line and they start crying. We're like, yeah. I'm like, that's crazy. But then yeah. it's just kind of like, she's impacting people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Using her platform to make people feel seen. yeah. And that is like probably like something I something that I like to take that I feel comfortable that I do in the salon with my clients. Like yeah. I could tell you what my clients do. I could tell you if they have kids. I could probably tell you where they work or mm. like what happened the last time I saw them. Yeah. Regardless if it's been like a year. And people my clients always are like, Wow, you remember that and I'm just kinda like, Yeah, I listen to you. Mm. I listen to you when you talk. Yeah, 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 which is so important, so key. Yeah, so good. Um, I think that, you know, like you said, we have a lot more in common than we think we do. And mm-hmm. especially in a time like this where our nation is really divided and there's so many things um, that's fighting to keep us divided. It's It's important to remember that, that we're all human and, you know, we we could learn from one another. We can, um, we can be loved by one another if we took the time to just stop and really listen and hear each other out and, and discover mm-hmm. that we have more in common. So no, that's beautiful. Um, I, I have one more question for you. Um, th- this whole conversation with you has been inspiring and, um, I've been stirred and, and challenged and, uh, I wanted, I wanted to ask, um, what advice would you give to someone who's afraid to dream big um, or afraid to really go for it? Um, for somebody that has ideas, plans, visions, goals, but may not think that they're good enough or maybe doesn't feel like what they're, they're aiming for is attainable. Um, what would you say to that person? Don't be scared of failure. Like literally someone and they were like hey I'm a bridal person and I was interested in having a summit I attended yours and I just wanted to know how you reached out to people and I was just like I DM'd them like literally I slid in their DMs if they had an email I emailed them Yeah. and and my feelings weren't hurt and my idea wasn't crushed mm-hmm. because they t- they didn't respond yeah yeah. When you have expectations of people, it leads to disappointment. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so it goes back to like, I could share how I had a very successful event, but I could tell you how I reached out to like three or four people who didn't respond to me, mm-hmm. or three or four people who read my message and you could see on Instagram that they read my message and didn't respond to me. <laughs> yeah. And that's fine. Yeah. Like I'm working with a brand who told me, three months before they reached out to me that I wasn't the material for their brand. And three months later they reached out to me and instead of having an ego and saying, forget y'all, I was like, sure, but my rate is now higher. (laughs) Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. So, like, it was just kind of like, because I, the, the ball's in my court. That's so So good. just remember in anything you do, the ball's always in your court. Yeah. Um, and it's okay to have feelings and to be scared. Like, mm-hmm. people think that we can't have feelings or people feel like you have to have it right all the time. You could grow. Like, I just did a mm-hmm. summit and... I literally spent the whole morning where I was just kind of like, what could we have done better? What went mm. wrong? And they were, they may be minor things, but they are still things that there's room for improvement. There's always room for improvement. Yeah. If there isn't room for improvement, then you're going to plateau. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good. So good. Love it. Yeah, no, I think that, you know, um, it's so crucial. It's key to um, evaluate and go back to the drawing board and think through ways in which you can grow. Um, and even, I know something I've learned is even evaluating strengths, like was this strength an accident or is this planned? <laughs> um, and so there, I think there's something powerful about um, really taking the time to look back and see how you could better yourself and do yourself, yeah, yeah go uh, grow a little bit more. No, that's awesome. Thank you uh, for you're so welcome. all of that. No, you're amazing. And we're rooting for you. And I just want you to know, I was watching the, the documentary uh, becoming and I just seeing you in some of those scenes. It was it was it was a real treat because I think representation matters. And um, I know we a, a lot of people of color don't get a lot of chances, but you don't really see a lot of Ethiopians in that spotlight either. And so uh, just seeing you in, in that space uh, was inspiring to say the least. And so, yeah, we're rooting for you. Thank you. I'm, I'm extremely humble that you'd get on this podcast and share some of your uh, journey with us and some of the things you learned along the way. And uh, you, you uh, yeah, this, I don't take this for granted. So yeah, thank you for being thank on Shaping Thank you for having culture. me. No, I tell people all the time, like I, my, my brother always says support is free. Mm. Support is free. Um, a post is free. Recog- shouting somebody out is free, yeah. right? Like yeah. support is free. And so for me, I wasn't always this person that I, whatever this person or whoever this person I, that I am, um, <laughs> I didn't always have this clout. Mm. So, you know, if someone, that's why I respond to direct messages. That's why I'm willing to get on the phone with people because again, yeah. you said it, representation matters and yeah. it's, there, and if people like you don't create platforms for us to share our stories, then our stories will never get told. Mm, mm, so fair. thank you for what you do. Um, and just know that as human beings, we all need each other. Yeah. And there's a role that all of us play. Yeah. And we have to recognize the role. Yesterday, someone that I know messaged me and she was like, my daughter was like, oh my God, that's Yene and she's Ethiopian. <laughs> she's Ethiopian like me. Mm. And she, her daughter's nine and she was like, my day was made. Wow. She was like that. My daughter looked at you mm-hmm. and could say, I could be on TV. She doesn't yeah. really understand, but like, and for me, that was the feel good, right? So mm-hmm. for me, I was just kind of like, that's dope. I'm happy to know that like my existence was there. And I, I was joking with a friend yesterday and I was like, it was like the perfect type of attention. Like you saw me, but my name wasn't said. So if you know me, you know me. If you don't, you don't. Yeah. That's perfect. It's just the way that I like it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, thank you for, for your support. Thank you for what you do. Um, and thank you for taking the time and 
reaching out to me um, and having the courage to reach out to me because a lot of people think that they shouldn't. And I'm mm. like, reach out to me. <laughs> I may not get back to you immediately, but I will. I promise. So, um, I appreciate your time as well. For sure. No, that means a lot. That means a lot. I know um, our listeners uh, will benefit from this a great deal. I've benefited from this a great deal. And so. Um, yeah, and please share it so I can share it with my network as well. Uh, absolutely. Definitely. Um, yeah, thank you for being on the podcast. And until next time, family, peace and grace.